In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How privileged I am to be here in the pulpit, and how honored I am as well. Is that a sign of what is <laughs> I thought the pulpit was collapsing. For a Lutheran to get into the pulpit like this is like to do those kinds of things. But I am truly honored to be here and preaching on this special occasion in the life of Father Joe. He was very kind to ask me to preach. I um, was somewhat reluctant, but after a moment or two I said yes. <laughs> but he had many people to ask and other choices to make. But to ask me to do this is quite something. I've been attending here for some time now, I think since last January, and have become more and more a part of the congregation. And to have this honor is really very special. I have to begin with where I was last week or the last two weeks. I returned on Wednesday with my wife Pam, who's seated here, from the Holy Land. We visited Israel and from there on to Jordan. And I could not get this sermon out of my mind or heart. That's what happens when you're give, given an assignment like this. You just kind of think about it and think about it. And you are deeply concerned about the party for whom you are preaching and the responsibilities that he is taking it upon himself. And so Pam and I found ourselves on one of the days in our visit to Israel and into Jerusalem by the Western Wall, known by some as the Wailing Wall. It's an interesting place. Some of you have probably been there. But you take the opportunity, if you have it, since it is the wall that was there at the time of Jesus, and that's the connection that I made. The Jews, of course, find it a wonderful place for them and their worship life. Just that left of that wonderful, wonderful place of worship that they had in the past. And all that's left is one part of the wall. And in that wall, people will scribble a prayer and then place it in the crack of the wall. And so Pam and I chose to do that and to write the names of Joe and Abby and the family members, offering a prayer there, and then sticking it in the wall. I have to admit it was difficult. <laughs> the wall is just simply flooded with little notes and prayers. And so fortunately, being over six feet tall, I was able to reach up, simply stretching as high as I possibly could, and found a little space or crack, and there I placed the prayer for you and your family, Joe. The prayer was that this would be a most fulfilling ministry for yourself and for the people of God gathered in this place. So it was an honor to be asked, and it also was a very wonderful moment to be able to write that little prayer and leave it behind. The second part of my introduction is the fact that what this does, asking me to preach, lays on me a responsibility, 
a heavy one, in the light of the world in which we live and the religious life of our country and the world. I couldn't help but reflect on what's unfolding in the Protestant churches here in our country. The agenda that most of them follow, not all, but most of them follow, is the agenda given to them by the world, rather than the agenda given to them by the scriptures and by their father, their holy father. Why, what Christ would have us do and say and share and preach. And so we see Protestant churches struggling and shrinking and having their difficulties. It is a harsh time for many denominations. And I suspect that a lot of what is happening is the fact that they have moved away from the essence, the significance, the importance of what the Holy Scriptures teach us and want us to share. It is a tough and a sad time for the churches of our country. It is also a difficult time when other churches choose to, well, be large churches, be growth churches, be unusual churches, and do things which are, well, Christian in a way, but certainly lack the input, the guts, the significance and meaning that I believe the church should have. A couple of months ago, I had occasion with my wife to visit my daughter, who's attending a large growth church in Michigan. Huge place. Thousands of people there that Sunday, and that was only one of the services. I sat with my daughter and family, and lo and behold, a spaceship landed on the stage. <laughs> they had arranged the smoke going up and all of a sudden through the smoke came this spaceship that landed on the stage and out stepped the preacher it sounds silly and absurd almost but that's exactly what happened and I don't mean to demean what was said by this man he was a, a good man and had good things to say but well some things were questionable and there was no creed, and barely a prayer, and the hymnody lacked the substance that the hymnody I hear sung here has. And that was an example of what is going on in a lot of these churches. They too, however, as successful as they appear to be, are having their difficulties. There's a sense amongst their people that they are not being fulfilled or fed as they should be. It is difficult to keep up the finances. Many of the sermons have an awful lot to say about giving and contributing only to sustain that ministry. And sometimes there's a moving around from church to church as people see or seek out more entertainment more opportunities to have a uniqueness about it and look for another pastor who might have something else to say. So they're having their difficulties as well and I suspect that a great deal of it has to do with the lack of substantive content. 
And that's where the Anglican Church can fill a significant need, as well as the ministry you have here, Joe, can do as well. For we are involved in the Anglican Church, as is true of other denominations, with really delivering the goods. A lot of us are challenged, and there's a lot of questions posed to us, that somehow or other, from here at the altar place, or from the pulpit, very little is delivered to the people themselves. There's so much falderall and what have you going on that somehow or other it doesn't pierce the heart and change the life. And I submit that that is not the case and that we have a great deal to deliver and a significant ministry to carry out. Let me review some of it with you. What we do in this church is accent holy baptism. We believe in people being baptized as infants and as grown-ups, and that in that process a new life is born in Christ Jesus. We are buried with Him in baptism unto death, only to rise up with the promise of the resurrection. That's what happens in baptism, and that's what we offer on a Sunday morning. It is not lightweight stuff. It is not insignificant. It changes the lives of people. It prepares our young people for a new life in Christ. That is a significant event, never to be sold short. What else happens in the midst of people here in a place like this, in the Anglican Church here at Holy Trinity? But we deliver the goods when we have the Holy Eucharist sacraments take place. We say a lot of things about it. You've got to listen carefully to understand all of the implications which we attempt to share at that time when we consecrate the elements. But if you listen carefully, and especially the words of institution, this is my body, this is my blood. We deliver Christ to people here in this place. No less than that. And we link ourselves one with another as we receive as a communion of believers. A very significant things are going on. And when that is eliminated from church services, when it's forgotten or set aside or done only occasionally once a year, that is not the essence of the Christian faith. We believe the words of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. And we wish to do it regularly. For we link ourselves with him who is our Lord and our Savior. This is his body. This is his blood. And we receive it as we will this morning. That's significant. And that's what we offer as a church. A lot of things can swirl about us. And people can teach other things. But we hold on to those treasures and share them with our people. Besides that, we link ourselves with the church historical. 
We are not just something that popped up during this generation, last week or five weeks ago, or just a couple of years ago. We are the church that Jesus founded. And we continue that on through the centuries. And we are here today doing the same thing. We're not something new and invented. We're not man-made. We are linked with the Holy Spirit and the early church. And what they did, we do. And we have that linkage. And we are proud of it. We turn to the scriptures. We hold them forth. And we're doing that more and more here in this context with Sunday school and Bible study and new things that we will introduce in the fall. Because we believe you've got to be in touch with the Word. The Word has to speak to you in your heart. It can change you. That's how the Spirit works. He works through the Word. The Word is spoken, and that same Word changes the hearts of people. We believe in that. We trust in the forgiveness of sins. We don't neglect that in the service. There is a need for us to come with those sins of ours, things we've done and the things we have failed to do, and say before God, Oh God, forgive me, I am a sinner. And then to hear the words proclaimed and spoken by your priest saying, Your sins are forgiven. You need to hear those words. They have to ring in your ears. That's what the message of our church is all about. Let me just change the focus just slightly. When that is done, by myself or by your priest or by our bishop or the other priests and workers of the church and yourselves, it has to be done with deep commitment. In other words, we cannot say these words without meaning them for ourselves. I was deeply moved a number of years ago, and I wish I could find the source of that. But there was an article about the Anglican Church, especially in Africa, amongst the bishops there. The bishops in that part of the world are unique. You've met some of them, I have not. But reading about them was very moving. What it said was this, that when the bishops in that part of the world go to visit a parish, they go with a personal witness of their faith. They're not going just to move people around or tell people what to do or report on what the general church is doing, but they're there to say, what does Christ mean to me? Can you imagine the bishop saying that? I'm sure your bishop doc does that. Christ means this to me. He's changed my life. Let me tell you the story. And those bishops did that, and we wonder why the church in Africa, the Anglican church, has grown and been blessed so. It is because of the witness, the personal witness of the bishops of the church, which is then carried out by the priests and the people of God. That's what it has to be. It has to be you yourself believing the things that are being said. So when, Joe, you celebrate the Eucharist here on a Sunday morning, you're not just saying words out of a book. You want to say those words 
to yourself and know the kind of words you're sharing with these people are significant and important. When you have a baptism here in the midst of God's people, which you've had here recently, you are speaking those words to these people, but you are remembering your own baptism and the significance of it for your life. That's what it has to be. Not something irrelevant or mystical or out there or something you repeat by rote. It has to be within your heart. It has to be expressed in words that you share with the people of God in this place. It has to be a living faith. And when that happens, then good things unfold. And that would be my prayer this morning, and my sermon's intention was that you hear these words, say, that's what I am and what I do, and they have meaning for me, and I rejoice in sharing them with the people of God in this place. And good things will happen. I'm going to end my sermon by uh, doing a little, well, recipe giving. Pam and I do a reading regularly. Instead of watching television as much as we might, we do watch the sports and things, but we read together. And we just completed a book entitled My Life in France, Julia Child. So raise your hands if you know who Julia Child is. Amen. Okay. Well, we got a good group. But Julia has some wonderful, wonderful things to share at the very end of her book. And I've written out a few of those and want to share them this morning. And I want to make the connection for us in our faith life. Really. The first suggestion she makes at the end of the book, she said, after a whole life of cooking and uh, sharing food, let me share some basics, she says. And that's one, use the best ingredients. Not a bad advice. Use the best ingredients, you know. You know what they are. Baptism, the Eucharist, forgiveness of sins, all the best ingredients. That's what we offer. Then, follow the instructions. <laughs> follow the instructions. Okay. Amen. It's so easy to set those aside. But what you want to do if you want a good meal at the end of the follow the instructions. Then the other one is for priests. Monitor the cooking. <laughs> you stir them up, now you want to monitor the cooking. You don't want to leave people floating up there. You want to monitor what they're doing, how they're responding. What's going on in their lives? I know I had occasion when I was in the priesthood and ministry full time. I would take occasion, I think Joe does this. You just go down and visit some of your members wherever they work or at their home, just to sit down and share with one another. And I think that's important. You've got to monitor the cooking. What's going on in the lives of God's people? You just can't let them on their own. A little, little monitoring. You don't mind that, do you? You need that, don't you? You're all smiling and saying, I am. 
Okay, and then the other thing is uh, taste it along the way. I think a priest has a right to taste it along the way. Like this morning's event, this is a sweet taste of what unfolds in the ministry of the life of the church. Taste it. And enjoy it. I know a lot of pastors and ministers, they go through a whole ministry, and it seems to me they shouldn't be there. They don't love it. They don't like the taste of it. Somehow or other, they're just tolerating it. It's got to be something you love to taste, to see people turning to God, committing themselves to Him, turning their lives around, rejoicing in the Lord, praising Him. That is a taste that you don't want to forget and want to savor. And then the last thing she says is share generously with others. Well, I've suggested that already. What do we've got we want to share? What Joe has, what these priests and pastors and church workers have, musicians and so forth, you've got something wonderful to share. Share it. Share it as Christian people saying, oh, this is wonderful. I know Jesus. I know Christ. I know His promises. And I know the promise of the resurrection, the forgiveness of my sins, new life in Him. And I love it and I want to share it. And then she ends by saying, voila, toujours bon appétit. And with it I say, Amen. Amen. Amen.